0: So, first order business is uh, my name is Jarrell Godsey. I am standing in for Pastor Brian, who is away this this Sunday. And uh, I learned also Ben was here earlier. Uh, our our uh, associate pastor was here earlier, but then uh, was feeling ill and then has gone home. So none of the adults are here, and so we really are pretty much free to do whatever we want to do. <laughs> So I said as much to John Notestine, and he said, oh, call the service then. I said, no. <laughs> yeah, I'll be in big trouble. And, uh, I, you know, Pastor Ryan always has some kind of comment about the Buckeyes, and I just, I'm just acknowledging that he has a comment because if I have my mouth, it's not going to come out right, and uh, <laughs> because I'm not a huge Buckeyes fan, happy for you guys when they win, uh, but uh, I'm just not going to go there. <laughs> Better that I leave it alone. So, okay. This morning we're we're in the middle of a series, uh, have been for a number of weeks, called "Making a Difference." You know, one of the things that, one of the things that survey after survey of of people around the U.S. in particular, and I believe the world, is this idea that while we perceive, particularly in our culture, we perceive that you know uh, substance is success. Well, if I'm successful, if I've worked hard enough, if I have enough in my bank account, if I have enough. Uh, stuff, you know, what is it? What is that phrase? You know, he who dies with the most toys wins. You know, it's like okay, that, that's often that's what our what our um, culture kind of reflects to us, primarily through our consumerism and materialistic um, advertising and all of that. And those, I'm not saying that those things don't have some level of importance. Certainly, we need to provide and we need to do all that we need to do. But uh, but at the core. The surveys indicate that what people really, really want is they want to matter. They want not success in some kind of corporate sense or status. They want to make a difference. They want to matter. And that's the very thing that Christ calls for us to do. Is to make a difference. Is to matter. And so when we look at uh, at scripture, there there's this understanding that he's called us to some really cool things individually, corporately, and that's why I, I when uh, Pastor Brian mentioned, hey, "Hey, would you mind doing this?" And here's the here's some some subjects. And I went to, got to this one, and I'm like, "Yep, I'll do that," because uh, this this quote. To me, this quote by Robert Johnson, which is in your notes, says, The world is run by the people who show up. The world is run by the people who show up. They may not be the most qualified. In fact, if you look at some of our political environment, they may not have the most integrity. Wait a minute, that's kind of redundant, right? Okay, they may not have even the most knowledge or, or understanding or even... Even, even all the facts and figures in front of them. But the people that show up are the ones that make the decisions, that create the rules, enforce the rules. They're the ones that, that, that affect all of the rest of us, and they do so because they show up. And that is the thing that we need to realize in our hearts, in our daily walk, in the things that we do, wherever we are, that the world is run by those who show up. At work, okay, probably not where you work, but where I work, we often run into these things. I often run into these questions like, why do we do it this way? You ever have that? Like, this is my favorite question. Why? Why do we do it this way? And a familiar answer you get is, because we've always done it that way. And you start to realize, wait a minute, somebody at some point decided this was the way to do it, and we've all been doing it since then. Have you heard the story of the three hams? Most of you. Okay, but for the few of you, the two and a half of you that haven't heard it, I have to tell it, okay? <clears throat> you know, there's a, the story is Thanksgiving. Mom, or mom and daughter are in the kitchen preparing for Thanksgiving. Daughter dutifully gets out the ham, cuts it into three pieces. She's got the three pieces and she looks and she says, Mom, why do we cut the ham in three pieces? And mom looks at daughter and says, I don't know. We've always done it that way. Let's go ask grandma. So they go and they get grandma they bring her into the kitchen and they look at her and the daughter asks grandma, why do we cut the ham in three pieces? And she said, well, honey, I don't know why you're doing it, but I didn't have a pan big enough at the time. And that's what we do. We, 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 we have things handed to us that are handed down sometimes from generations, sometimes from, from uh, whatever we're doing at work or at home, or we just do it a certain way because somebody somewhere showed up, made a decision or decided something, and that's what we get handed. So it's a good question to ask why. It's a good question to explore because maybe it can be done differently. Maybe it can be done better. And one of the things that we realize is that in our own culture today, we are handed a whole lot of stuff that's been decided by someone else. A whole lot of stuff. Okay? Our culture today is really dominated by individualism. You know, we've, we uh, I'm a fan of uh, reading about history and... Certainly uh, one of the favorite things to read about in history is the founding of our country and the American Revolution and uh, those kind of things. And there's a, there's a phrase that they use uh, for, like they talk about for the common good. In fact, I think it was Ben Franklin that says, if, if, um, if we do not hang together, we will certainly hang separately. Right, and he meant two different things. You know, if we don't hang together, if we don't do this all together, then we will literally hang because we will be tried and found guilty of um, of rising up against the king, King George of that day. But today, we've become more about individuals, more about personal rights, personal space. That's an interesting concept, personal space. I was in Europe in September, and a few a few of those countries like have no understanding of the idea of personal space. I had someone, delightful man, doctor in endocrinology, and he, he wanted to talk to me, and he got like this close. And it was everything I could do to say, dude, back off. Because we have this like rule, this like personal space rule. I don't know who decided that, but I like that one. Okay. Like I don't know who decided, I don't know who decided about the elevator thing. You know, thou shalt not talk in an elevator when there are strangers. Right. And you should all face, face towards the door. Right. I don't know who decided those. But those are kind of good. I like those. But the idea of individualism in our country has taken over. Okay, to the point where we are, all, we are more about selfishness, right? Things that help us, things that we do for us, the things that, that, well, I don't care about that. Or we have this, this uh, famous thing that says, yeah, that's important. Uh, but they call it, they say, not in my backyard, right? Yeah, that needs to happen but not in my backyard. We get in these discussions about all kinds of stuff and you know, some of it makes sense, but some of it is simply a reaction to being, yeah, that's important, but it's not important enough to inconvenience me. So we have this individualistic idea and then that leads us into a sense of apathy. Right? We get apathetic because, well, somebody else is doing it. By the way, that means that someone else is showing up and we're going, oh, okay, that's fine. That's good. Good for them. Glad they did that. And that leads us to the expectation that someone else is responsible to do something. Somebody somewhere else is responsible to do something uh, regarding the issue that we're dealing with, the obstacle that we've encountered, the uncomfortable reality that we're experiencing. It's like driving over that pothole. It's like, someone ought to fix that. Okay well you know that's someone there 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 are people that do that but there are things that we sh- we shouldn't be too quick to hand that over because Christ calls us something to something very different right he calls us he calls us his disciples to be salt and light and we see that in Matthew 5-13-16. through 5 through, 13 through 16. Um, He calls us to be salt and light. And Pastor Brian just preached on this a little bit ago about being salt, a preserver, uh, a, a place of, or something that's savory, something that's inviting, something that, that is helpful. He also calls us to be a prophetic presence. We see that in 2 Peter 1.19, a prophetic presence. Meaning that we are here to speak to what's going on, not just simply react to what's going on. Right, we need to be not not just reactive. Oh well, those crazy politicians. What are they doing? Or boy, that you know this this thing that's happening in my my work. I just I don't know. I'm just gonna now. I realize, by the way, that some of the things I'm gonna say are gonna absolutely freak out the introverts in the room. Okay, you know who you are, and I can tell who you are right now because you're like looking away. <laughs> because I'm calling you out. But by the way, I am one. I am an introvert. I took a test, and this might surprise some of you because you see me in places like this, and you wonder, "Yeah, right. You are lying. God's going to kill you for that." Okay. It's like, no, I am one. I took a test and it was like a spectrum. And there were like 20, this is nonprofit leaders. I happen to be in nonprofit administration, 20-something nonprofit leaders. And this, this test was supposed to test like how, how much did you need to connect with other people and how much you did not. And they, they basically put us all on a spectrum. And I was like second to last from I don't care about you. I don't need to be with you. I don't care who you are or what you're doing here. Don't you feel in good hands now? <laughs> it was more about disposition, about where you default to. Right? And by the way, that's okay. It is a spectrum. We're all on it. Some of you are highly extroverted. You wonder, where are the people? Because where is the party? Right? I want to be there. The other, other introverts are going, the the most favorite thing of it for introverts about a party is leaving. Oh, thank God. I survived that. I get to go home. Yeah. Okay, so I realize I'm, I'm going to freak out some introverts because there's something that we need to not let our personality, and that is a personality, and I'm not here to put that down because, again, I am one. I'm, that, because our personalities need to be subjected to the cause of Christ Amen. and to the call of Christ and what he calls us to do. So he calls us to be salt and light, a prophetic presence, and in the world, but not of the world, John 17:14. So what can a few, even one, do when others have already shown up and are already domineering our culture? Well, let me give you the power of just one. And it comes in four stories. The first story is one of a little boy. We find this in John 6, 9-13. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. You ever know that when we tell this story, we talk about, we say, we always say, five loaves, two fishes. <laughs> True? Yeah. You ever know what we, that's like mean? That's like awful English. It's not fishes. It's fish. What's that? <laughs> well, Okay. Two small fish, and and how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down here. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather in the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Pieces of barley loaves. See, the fishes weren't left over. Just saying. <clears throat> the real cool part about this story, although, I mean, it's a miracle, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing, you know, basket of stuff, you know, Son of God blesses the food, stuff keeps coming out. Okay, that's the miracle. That's the miracle. Because it, it was five loaves and two fish. Okay, and he just keeps pouring stuff out. For who? 5,000 people. By some renderings, there was actually a lot more than that, because usually they all only count the men. Sorry, ladies. First Testament, first New Testament stuff. So it might have been a lot more than that, and they still had stuff left over. So the great miracle that Jesus performs happens in this moment because of one little boy. Okay, did you catch that again? 5,000 men... None of them brought any food. And the women are like, yeah, that's right. They would never, never, never remember to. <laughs> so maybe it was just men. I mean, that's, that's like proof text. So there's, it's only guys because the guys didn't know what to do. Right? But one little boy did. Not only did he do that, he showed up. By the way, the real hero of this story is not the little boy, it's his mom. <laughs> It's true. It's true. Here, here, hun. Your dad would never remember this. <laughs> okay, so so the little boy is it, he but he not only does he come with something for lunch that the 5,000 other people didn't do, but when the word goes out, he presents it. Here it is. I don't know what you can do with this it doesn't look like much much to me by the way that when it says fish those were like 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 what are those anchovies or sardines. sardines thank you sardines they were like that big they were not like you know like oh here's a 150 pounds tuna you know here you go son here's your lunch no it was like little fish so he hands over what is relatively meager all that he has all that he had for the for the meal and that is what becomes kind of the conduit for the power of God to be unleashed in that moment. Not just to feed the faces of those people that were sitting there, but to echo through to us from history the reality that the availability of one person can change, can touch thousands and change generations. That's an amazing thing. One little boy. By the way, God uses what you have to fill a need. That you might never have been able to fill. This is from a five loaves and two fishes from Philip Philip Clark Brewer. You'll never read that again, will you? Like that. Philip Clark Clark Brewer. This is his quote: God uses what you have to fill a need which you never could have filled. God uses where you are to take you where you never could have gone. God uses what you can do to accomplish what you never could have done. God uses who you are to let you become who you never could have been. The little boy did not possess great ability, but he did possess availability. So God uses those who make themselves available to him. He will use you if you will make yourself available to him. So that's the key. Are you available? So we have one little boy, so let's go to one little girl. 2 Kings 5, 1-3. through three. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back a captive young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Sam- Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. That's an amazing thing. The little girl is a captive of war. She's been enslaved. And yet, she has this two things. She has a heart for the master that she serves. I want you to think about your own work environment for a moment like that. She is dragged into this. I know that some some of us feel like every morning... When we go to work, I'm being dragged into work. And she looks at her master and says, you know what? She brings something else to the equation. Not just the heart of compassion for him, but she brings an element of faith. She says, if my master would only go see the prophet, he would be healed. And the story goes on. And Naaman ultimately is healed because he does go to the prophet. None of that would have happened none of that would have happened except for the faith and for the compassion of one little girl. Do we have the faith of the servant girl? Can we envision that what we need is available through the power of God? Let's get to one woman. There are other, there are other stories to use, but the Esther's is so apropos. So Esther 4:14. 4, when Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent the clothes for him to put on... No, I think that's Esther 4.4, 4, not 4.14, but let me read that. That's, that's the setup for this. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such... A time as this, because in four four we understand it's like this is where Mordecai sets the deal. For some reason, Esther. I mean, we see the story. She's pretty and she gets attention. And the queen, you know, the queen Vashti gets uh, um, summarily dismissed from her role. And the the king is looking. This pagan king is looking for someone who to be his queen. And if you remember this story, it, it gets pretty intense because she's in this position as queen. He basically is the king of all things, and he's like, okay, he's got everything going on. And, and so Mordecai is talking to, essentially, his family member, right? Because Mordecai was her uncle. And Mordecai is telling her, you've got to do something. Who do you, how do you know that you were not put here for such a time as this? And, and there's a reality to it. Now, we, we know how the story goes. She does. She makes it happen. Uh, the, the, the Esther is a short book. It's a good reading, by the way, if you have a few minutes. And, um, and it's one of those stories that, as, by the end, it's not just a good story because Esther survives and gets her point across. But then, like, the whole, you know, vengeance is mine saith the Lord kind of stuff really all plays out. And if you really want a fun, fun way to see this story, you have to get the Veggie Tales on it. That's just awesome. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Right? That's just the best. So, but, there's peas, that's it's awesome, okay. <clears throat> but e- Esther's story has this element in it where she goes to see the king. She wasn't invited to see the king. And you go to see the king uninvited, you are in danger. If you've not been requested, if you've not been invited, if you've not been scheduled then you have no business seeing the king. And depending upon what kind of mood he's in, your life is in danger. Now we know the story. She went, it took her a while. She had to kind of grease the skids. She had dinner. She had to set some things up, all of which God used. But then she goes and she meets with him and he extends the scepter to her. And the story goes on. And she, she is the linchpin for the delivery of her people. And so Esther was challenged. Now, by the way, you look at the difference was, what did Esther have to lose personally? She was the queen. I mean, she had all kinds of stuff going on. Now, granted, she was a Jew and could have been uncovered and discovered and been summarily killed as well, but she she had it all. She was the, the highest status a woman could possibly have in those days. The most things available to her, it was not... I mean, literally, she was challenged to put her own comfort, her own status, and, of course, even her own life on the line for the sake of something greater. Her people, God's people... Can we understand that holding too tightly to our own comfort and status can hinder us from responding to God's call? God is looking for those who will be willing to set aside what they have, what they have achieved, and even who they are in order to fulfill His promise. If they will say yes. If they will show up. Then we have one man instrumental in saving mankind from extinction. That's kind of an important thing, right? Who was that? Noah, Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah remained obedient to God and proclaimed his word. You know, if you read, just read through Noah, it, it, there's some things that you miss. For one, it took him 120 years to build the boat. Okay, now I know some of you have like vehicles, uh, project vehicles in your garage that have taken nearly that long. Maybe just a few, right? Some of us have projects that are sitting somewhere that are like unfinished, been around for years. Noah took 120 years to do that. And every day you have to wonder, it's like, Lord... No one else is doing it like this. By the way, when he was building the boat, you realize that there was something, you know, God said it was going to rain. There had never been any rain before that. So you got to, this guy is probably ridiculed. Look, I didn't see the latest movie. I saw the thing about the rock people. I don't know what that is all about. But if you just read the scripture, it's a powerful story. And it's a powerful story of one man saying, I will. I'll stand up and do this. Yes, Lord, I am available. Are we willing to stand up and show up? Because there are three areas where I want to I talk to you about how important it is to show up. That's your family, your faith, and your future. For your family, we need to be there. Okay? There's Particularly parents. There's this idea about, about quantity time and quality time. Let me help you out. Quality time is quantity time, right? There's this thing. How many of you, how many of you have heard or read, read of the, uh, um, what is it, five love languages? Is there five, four, six, five? Five love languages. One of those is quality time. So unless you've done like a whole analysis on your significant other, just keep that in mind. And for your kids, parents, for your kids, quality time is quantity time. The more time you make for them, the more opportunities you have to engage them, let them be them, but also be connected to what they're doing, the better it is. That's showing up for your family. And by the way, wherever you are, be there. Be there. We have this nasty little devices now that connect us to all kinds of other stuff. And they're fun, they've got games, and I can't, like, not do them myself at times. Um... And it's really important that I get all this key information at my fingertips at any point in time. But those are the kind of things that we need to set aside and be there for our for our for our kids. We need to be there. We need to be a part of that. We need to not not let that take us over. Not let someone else interject themselves in our into our world uh, when we're trying to do other things. And young people, make yourself available. Show up. At home, like with the chores. That's a novel idea, right? Show up. Be a part of it. Make yourself available to your family. And you know what? The same thing goes, goes to you. Showing up in someone's Facebook feed or in their SMS stream doesn't have the same importance as when you show up for your family, and don't you know? It's one of the things uh, we've had to, we've had to deal with at our home. And it basically, is we're not sitting out in, in our dining room texting other people that are not in the room, or even those in the room. You know, Kara, Joel, do you really hate these peas or what? Oh, I like these peas, but I hate the carrots. You want my carrot? No, we're not doing that. These things are important, so as a family, we need to show up. Show up for those that that really don't know Christ. They don't know what we know. They don't have a God who's active in their life because they've not yielded their heart to, to to, to the God of heaven. Show up for your family. Show up for what they need, what they need of you. Show up for your faith. Now, the first thing I have to do is say, show up at church, but it's kind of funny to say that to those that are already at church. Okay, The truth is, most often times, the people that need what's going on here most are the ones that are not here. And so we need to, we need to show up for them. We need to say, you know what, this is good. Will you come with me? Because uh, what, what's there is important. But I want to challenge you, don't just show up physically. It's not like a checkbox. Okay, I paid my tithe. I, I'm present. I went to the first service because then I, they have to finish on time so I can get out of here. <laughs> that's why i go to the first service okay it's not you know it's not a checkbox so we need to be here physically but don't be here physically without being prepared for what goes on here emotionally spiritually mentally come ready come expecting that's showing up showing up with your faith wherever you are god and in certain instances we need to show up with our faith apart from church in many instances maybe Now, God doesn't need you to defend Him, but He does want you to defend the hope you have within you. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Which includes at work. Right? You, maybe, just like Esther, how do we know that you're not called there for such a time as that? To be in there in that moment... When that situation arises and you become an influence, a godly influence. Maybe not directly, you know, here's my Bible. I'm going to, don't worry, this is not going to hurt. I'm going to hit you over the head with it. God will, I believe in a God who resurrects from the dead. So if things go bad, not a problem. Wow. I know my humor is like a little out there at times, but so I apologize. Thank, thank God, I only do this twice a year <clears throat> for your sake. So we show up at work. We need to be God in that moment because we're really, not God like I know, like Moses <laughs> or uh, walking like we're we're God, but we are God's conduit. We are Jesus with skin on. And so we, when when we simply reach out and compassionately. Um, a comfort someone in our office environment or or speak truth like hey you know what billing something that we didn't really do is not okay. Those are moments when we need to stand up and show up for our faith because our faith tells us so. At school we need to show up at school. There's plenty of stuff that's been going on in schools now. I don't I don't I don't know what your school is like. There's stuff even in Christian schools and other places where there's Things introduced that are contrary to what we know about God, the God of the Bible, and what he tells us. And so we need to show up for that and say, uh, excuse me, wait a minute. If you like a good movie to see more about that, check out God's Not Dead. And of course, show up for faith in our family. There are family members who don't know God the way that we do or need to. So we need to be a light for those around us. And we need to also show up for our future. And I want to speak specifically. There are things that are going on. There's, a, there's this reality of Scripture that talks about seed time and harvest. The things that we plant today, we will harvest later. So we need to show up for our future. Do things today, investments of time and energy and effort, investments of, of money and things that we need to do today so that we can have a positive future. Those are good things to do. But I want to talk uh, very specifically, given that today is Sunday the 2nd and... After Sunday comes Monday, after Monday comes Tuesday. Well, Jarrell, you're brilliant. But Tuesday is voting. So I want you to show up with your vote this week. By the way, the gift to vote, it's a it's not just a, a right. I'm sorry, it's not just a right, but it's a gift handed to though to us by those who fought to establish and maintain our right and our ability to do this. To me, if I don't show up to vote, it's not because if it, it it's an it's it, it's painful because I perceive it as something that someone else paid precious preciously for my ability and opportunity to participate in this government and I won't I don't want to let them down and I thank you if you're a veteran we uh, Veterans Day is this this month and if you're a veteran I thank you for what you've done to allow me to go to the polls and vote so Tuesday show up vote your values and vote. Uh, Vote your values, hopefully those are shaped by God's word, than man's way. Show up for the future of your family, this nation, and the moral compass of our culture. And let me say this really quickly. Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger, do not sin. Sometimes politics has a way to get us very angry. Okay? Very angry. And I count myself in those. But by the way, hate toward a political person or a party is not a biblical value. Okay, I've seen some very interesting things. I see, you know, we have a President Obama, we have a Governor Kasich, and I see people who have expressed hate towards both of them. And that's not okay. You can see it in the signs today. There's a big Kasich with a big thing that says, No Kasich. If that's how you're voting, then check your heart. I mean, vote how you're going to vote, but check your heart. Make sure we're not doing it out of hate. We're not allowed that luxury or that, or that privilege to hate someone. That is not a Christian value. So vote. Vote, vote right, vote right, vote righteously. Now, four things. You need to show up carefully. Pick and choose your battles. Make sure you understand the issue at hand and have educated yourself on the matter so that when you do show up, it doesn't work against you. I was watching uh, some footage. There was a reporter saying, like, um, which do you prefer, Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act? Now, they're the same, if you don't know. But they were very convinced that one was better than the other. And it's like, they're the same. Um, so show up carefully. Know your stuff. Be prepared. Show up consistently. Take time. Take, a, take Taking a stand one time is probably not enough. And this goes, you know what? I, I like this. This kind of guides me in other ways. But if you were on trial for your Christianity, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Show up completely. Be prepared to go all in. We did a big series on that not too long ago. Be all in. Whatever, whoever puts their hand to the plow and then turns back is not fit. Luke nine sixty two, And show up confidently. By the way, he promised to never leave us or forsake us. He gives us a good word in due season. And we are his. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So I challenge you to make a difference by showing up. So, if I could have the worship team come up. I don't have a big call to prayer this morning, all the prayer team, if you come up as well. But if there's something that's been uh, touched in you if, you, if you have need of healing, if you have need of just someone to pray with and, and agree with you, by the way, that's a participation. We want to participate with one another. If you have a prayer need that we can simply agree with and say, Yes, Lord, then I want you to come up. But I want you to show up. I want you to remember to vote on, on Tuesday. And beyond that, remember to show up for your family. Show up for your faith. And show up for the future. Because it's critical for us. For those around us. And for those who will come behind us.